welcome to the House of Style podcast, a conversation series where we talk to prominent Australian interiors figures about their design journey, what inspires them and where they're headed. This is a deep dive into their past, present and futures, discussing what it takes to become an iconic figure in today's interiors landscape. With our background as style editors, we've crossed paths with some incredible furniture and homewares brands, designers, artists and makers. This is our way to share their inspiring stories with you, the listener. I'm interior stylist Kerry ann Jones. And I'm interior designer John O'Fleming. And welcome to the House of Style. When it comes to colour, knowing what's on trend can be a daunting task. Yes, but not for our guest today. We talked to stylist and trend forecaster Bree Leach. Yes, Bree's work has been seen on the covers of all magazines, but she also works as a Julux ambassador and a creative consultant that provides key colour and trend information. It's a really interesting job, and Bree explains the process of picking trends and where she gets her inspiration from. It's a big call to paint an entire wall in your house cobalt blue or a deep maroon, but Bree chats about how to use colour and introduce it into your home. Plus, we chat all things styling, design, and most importantly, what she's binging on TV at the moment. <laughs> Start taking notes so you can get ahead of the trends and enjoy our chat with Bree Leach. Hello. Hi, Bree. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. So, as we always do, let's take it back to the beginning. And can you tell us a bit about your background and where you grew up? So, I grew up in pretty much the country, I guess, out outer suburbs that would probably be considered now in Macedon Ranges in Gisborne. Yeah, that was a pretty kind of country life, you know, out all day down the creek in the paddocks playing out on our bikes and all of that sort of stuff so it was pretty fun it's a really nice area to grow up in for sure very beautiful yes it sounds beautiful <laughs> for those who are geographically not with it like me where's gisborne <laughs> The Macedon Ranges, you may have heard of like Woodend, Mount Macedon. You would have heard of Dalesford for sure. Oh, yes. Dalesford, yes. yes. Very. So it's sort of heading out of Melbourne towards that direction. So it's on the way. If you were heading out to Dalesford, you'd sort of go past where I grew up. Mm, yeah. Lovely. That gives some context. And if you keep, keep going, you sort of end up in Bendigo. So it's on that direction out of Melbourne. And it's probably about, I guess... An hour or so out of Melbourne now. It's probably a bit quicker. It probably used to be a bit longer. So growing up, a really big thing for me was going into the city, so getting dropped off to the V-line trains, which are like the country trains, getting on the train, going into town, spending a whole day, you know, just exploring, going into shops, finding new things. That was super exciting. Going to the cinemas, <laughs> that was a really big deal. <laughs> That's awesome. And were you always creative as a kid or...? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, did, I don't have a super creative family, so I wasn't surrounded by creative people. So I kind of probably didn't know myself that I was creative, I suppose. But I was always into, I guess, making things beautiful, whether that was artwork or, you know, drawing, creating, making crazy things. As I got older, probably fashion was my biggest influence. I used to sew a lot of my own stuff. I did for a long time want to be in fashion as a fashion designer. I was going to say, what did you want to be when you grew up? Because none of us really, 
I don't think anybody is like, I want to be an interior photographic stylist. Because yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who knew what that was, right? No one would have thought of that. I, before I sort of knew that was a thing, I was definitely, so because I was heavily influenced by fashion, that was what I would say I wanted to do when I grew up, other than, other than being a singer, which, by the way, I'm not a great singer, but that was what, you know, I wanted to be like lead singer of some band. So I was in band in high school and stuff. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Amazing. But I don't hold a tune well enough to carry that off. <laughs> and then I wanted to be an actor. So, but then I sort of decided I probably wasn't also quite good enough because I knew that would be very difficult. So then I started to think about set design. So that was probably the first time I thought about interiors as something that I might like to do that I guess related back to drama and the arts and that sort of thing because that's what I was quite into in the later years of high school. I thought I'd go to NIDA and study set design, which I never did, but (laughs) because I was also interested in, you know, costume design and just that whole thing. I think movies and television played a really big part in my creative life as well, and I probably still do. (laughs) Probably my earliest memory of actually thinking about interiors and what I wanted my space to look like, this punky Brewster. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you might be too young to remember, but she was just crazy, colourful, out there. Her bedroom was amazing. And that was like my dream. I watched that just to see what she'd be wearing and what her bedroom looked like. I had no interest in the storyline whatsoever. Because <laughs> so, I'd just never seen anything like that before. Well, so peak 80s as well with like all the 80s colours. And now that I'm sort of older and settling on things that I do, that I'm drawn to, the 80s does definitely play a big part in that, for sure. Yeah, so it's funny how much influence you carry from... A young age, because I would have been in primary school. I would have been maybe yeah. Yeah. thirteen when that show was around. I would have still been very concentrating on thinking I wanted to do fashion. I used to just constantly draw sketch outfits and what they would be. After you left high school, did you study fashion in college, or like what was your sort of journey into your career? Fashion sort of went by the wayside. And that's when I started to think about more set design. And I honestly don't remember how I actually flipped into interiors. I don't remember that moment where I realised that was something I could actually do. But I discovered, you know, courses that um, were available and I put my eggs in one basket and applied for um, a course which is now the RMIT interior design course. And I didn't get in. And I was devastated. I had no backup plan. I remember starting to apply for visual merchandising retail kind of jobs straight away thinking, well, I'm just going to reapply. That's just, I decided that was what I wanted to do. I did a bit of ringing people and trying to find out if there was a way I could still get in. I ended up being offered a place. So it just shows that you just got to kind of keep pushing sometimes Someone must have dropped off and they went, okay, yep, because I was the squeaky wheel. I managed to get a place. So good. So how was studying there? I mean, RMIT is a pretty in-depth course. It's funny, I went, so I went to, um, I applied for, sorry, when I said I applied for one thing, I did also apply for the main course at RMIT. No, a lie. I didn't apply because I went to the open day and I went and spoke to them and I just kind of didn't, I didn't connect with that course. For me, it was very... 
abstract and much more artistic, which is fine, but I really wanted to create actual interiors and renovate bathrooms and houses and that sort of thing. And I didn't, it was sort of not directly about that in that course. So I actually ended up not applying for it, which I kicked myself because I had to do bloody maths in year 12, which I hated and was terrible at just to try and get into that course. And then I didn't end up applying for it anyway. But that's all fine. It all works out. So I really enjoyed the course I did because it was super practical. And they taught you, you know, proper drawing skills and all the practical stuff that you need to know from an interior design point of view. So that was the basis of pretty much everything I've done since then. So after you did that course, what was your first job at Um, of studying. So I was really lucky to get, I guess, what would be an internship in my last year of studying. So there was an option to find somewhere where you could work and you could reduce your hours of study. So I worked for a commercial interior design firm and I just spent my days with, you know, massive floor plans of offices in the city and working out where all the workstations go and how many offices had to fit. I loved it. It's like a big puzzle. It was really just a really small firm, but that was kind of good because I probably got more hands-on experience. And then I stayed with them after I graduated. They offered me a job. So I was really lucky to go straight into interior design from my course. It's it's very, mm, for lack of a better word, dry compared to the like what you do now I actually really enjoyed space planning so that I didn't mind doing that but the fun parts were the reception and the kitchenettes the kitchenettes you could like have a bit of fun and you I guess that's where I probably started to use color because in commercial spaces it doesn't have to be neutral and there's less people to please you're actually relating it back to the brand that you're working with so yeah so I had a bit of fun with that and then I bought a house so I wanted to earn more money and we didn't earn a lot of money in interior design jobs of sort of you know I guess I was probably medium level interior designer by that point and I started to look around and there wasn't a lot of jobs going that I was sort of interested in I had a lot of friends doing architectural reps so you know you'd make friends with them because they're calling on you and bring samples and one of them was saying to me I was saying to her I was looking for something she should do what I do and I went oh yeah maybe just you know this is how much I earn and I get a car paid for and I just drive around all day and visit interior designers and I'm like ding 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 ding. Uh, are they hiring? <laughs> I do that job and you know make really good money like the money was much better so I ended up going to do that for um, a carpet company because I was a designer and you had to talk to other designers and I'd call on them and give them samples and chat to them about the product it was just was actually a bit too easy it was sort of not challenging enough for me, but I enjoyed it while I did it. And then within the company, they started doing a lot of events. So somehow I kind of started to fall into, um, and this was actually the second, I was poached by another carpet company, so the second carpet company. Yeah. It sounds like you're pretty, pretty good at what you're doing. <laughs> and they started to do a lot of events and I sort of got involved in the marketing and designing the stands for uh, trade shows. Design X was a big interior design trade show back then which doesn't exist anymore but anyway so we did stand design and um so I started to project manage and design and slowly do much less of the architectural wrapping and then they offered me a job because the current colorist for the carpet left and that already sort of put me into like marketing and events but 
they get me to look at all the commercial colours and they knew what my background was. I got offered that job and kept the events job. So essentially I was, it was some ridiculous title like colour events and marketing something or other. (laughs) (laughs) I had to make it up because it was just this sort of job where I kind of did all different things. And, yeah, and that's where I started to do colour forecasting. But, yeah, so it's funny how things evolve from being an architectural rep to somehow falling back into kind of where maybe I was supposed to be back in the design world. From there... I had my second child and that's when I decided I didn't want to go back to that sort of corporate world. There was a lot of other stuff. Like whilst what I did in my job was fantastic, there was just the politics of some places and people that you sometimes have to deal with. I mean, it taught me a lot, I think, working in that environment, but just I'd had enough of it. I was sort of a bit sick of I don't know, the game playing that's so unnecessary in some of those situations. (laughs) And that's how I started out on my own. And I'd already started styling their photo shoots while I was there. So that's how I knew what a stylist was. (laughs) Um, And I knew a few photographers and I started doing work for them, freelance. And I guess it sort of snowballed from there. So what was your sort of first job as like, as the freelance Stylist. It would have been working with Godfrey Hurst, who was the carpet company I left. You guys would know that a lot of the time your work comes from, say, the photographers you know. You don't always, it doesn't always come to you, especially when you're starting out. I think those connections are really important. They would come to me and say, you know, because they like to work with me, we've got this project, do you want to come on board? Mm. Was there a turning point where it all sort of clicked all of a sudden, where... You know, I know in our experiences, you know, this is the thing I love about talking to stylists. No story is the same of how everyone ended up being a stylist because... I don't think anyone started out being a stylist. No. I think it was probably the moment I had worked with Andrea Liston or at Drawlux over the years when I was working with Carpet. And we used to do colour forecasting together because, you know, paint and carpet went hand in hand. So we'd meet and have meetings about what was coming up. And we'd often do presentations together to, you know, big groups like Choices and those big kind of carpet groups. So Andrew would come in as a guest. So I got to know her quite well. And she was taking an extended leave from her position. I used to say to her all the time, if you ever leave, I'm just going to come and take your job. I want to work with paint because it just seemed like, you know, endless colour options where I was working in carpet. It was like this beige, this slightly more yellow beige, this beige. (laughs) And I'd put in some wild colours and they'd be like, I don't know if we're going to sell that, so don't make much of this one and this one, but you need something. So anyway, and then I'd go to visit her and there'd be, you know, this broad range of paint colours and I'd be like, that's what I want to do. And then she rang me out of the blue one day and said, look, I'm actually going on leave and we need someone to come and do my job. And she probably hadn't finished saying that sentence. I'll do it, I'll do it. (laughs) So I went in to interview there and I got along really well with everyone and I started, I just worked on contract, I think for about a year, for about 12 months. And that's how I started to to work with Julia. So I looked after the forecast and managed that. Well, we're going to get into that. Yeah, we definitely have got questions. <laughs> about that. Eight, eight years ago, so I actually, I actually started working just as Andrea had come back from Paris and London 
her method of, you know, bringing everything back was, so this was a while ago. I was already, I'm quite, I guess, a bit of an early adapter. So I was already kind of working digital. Andrew liked to print everything. So I, one of my first days was walking in with piles of printed images that she'd taken overseas that we had to sift through and go yellow part, blue part, slightly blue, green part, and just try and start to find, you know, colour directions. So that was wild. That was pretty intense few days of forecasting. And then she left and went, here you go. <laughs> so I was like, awesome. But it was fantastic because I got to, you know, select the colours for forecast that particular year. It might have been 2012 or 2013 or something. And that was my foray into forecast. So I think that was probably my big turn point, getting to work with them as a brand, for sure. We'll be right back after this break. As stylists, we're always looking for that perfect piece to finish off the room. One of our favourite places to shop is Design Stuff. From local brands to global favourites like Firm Living, Christina Dam Studio, Menu Copenhagen and many more, each piece has a refined design aesthetic with a strong Scandinavian feel. You can find everything you need for the home, from decor to accessories to furniture. There's something for every space. You can shop their entire collection online at designstuff.com.au or pop into their flagship store in St Kilda and see these beautiful products up close. This is a stylist go-to and a definite favourite of ours here at the House of Style. And back to the episode. That sort of takes us kind of into the present. Can you talk us through the trend forecasting process? Like, what does that look like? I mean, I think everyone's always very interested because that maybe they think it's it's a bit of crystal ball sort of work. And I guess a little bit of it is, but it's lots of research. You really need to be on top of not just what interior brands are doing. There was a big shift to fashion and interiors kind of being on a bit of a par. You know, when we forecast for interiors, I also worked alongside trained forecasters in other industries like the car industry or the motor industry, um, and they'd have to forecast like 10 years ahead. There's the real crystal ball stuff, but they were really good at it. It's a technical kind of job. But I think that that's all condensed. We used to forecast sort of two or three years ahead. Now we'd be lucky if we're forecasting and it's six months. You know, as soon as we're out with it, it's kind of happening. Yes. And part of that is because people see everything. They're not waiting for things to arrive, like the magazines from Europe. We see them live now, so we're influenced straight away. It's interesting. It's all much, much faster now than it was before. Does that make it more difficult in a way, though, because yeah. you have to always it's keep ahead? It's always kind of easier, but it's not. I think it is trickier because you've got to keep ahead of it, and that is why you've got to really be on top of what I was saying before is you've really got to look at more than just colour and interior trends and fashion trends, you have to look at lifestyle trends and how people are thinking and what they're reacting to, what's happening globally, like COVID, you know, that's a huge influence at the moment. And then how that trickles down into something like a plate, you know. (laughs) So that's the skill of forecast, I think, is working out where you think that direction is going to go because the clues are all there. It's a bit detective-y, you know, you've really got to, pick up on those cues. They're not always super obvious. 
the macro trends is what I look for and I and decide whether or not I think they're going to become bigger because the big things you can see, you know, they're, they're a bit more obvious. Are there, have there been times where you're like, oh, I absolutely got that right or, oh, no, things that you think are going to be like all the clues are there and it's really obvious and then when it happens it doesn't actually click with people? Yeah, and that sometimes, that happens all the time. I would say when we were doing four palettes for Drawlux, I would say there was always one palette that was a weaker palette or idea that was a bit more, you know, a smaller seed that I would kind of, you know, try and develop into a bit more. Sometimes we'd be too far ahead of it and we'd release that trend and that idea and then 12 months later I'd go, oh, there it is. Like it was just a bit slow coming through. So it's not, it's not an exact science by any means and that's where the kind of instinctive part of it comes in you've got to make those decisions on what you believe is going to be you know based on things that are happening is actually going to be the direction that it takes and also adapting it to Australia we are quite unique here when I was in the carpet world all their technology came from the US and they wanted you know they'd send me over there to trade shows and things and they'd want me to look for trends there I had to convince them that actually Australia doesn't really follow the US and the US again kind of sits by itself a little bit. And back then, very much so. It's a bit, it's a bit, I don't know, more connected now in terms of trends. Yeah. But I think the closest we are is probably the UK. That's probably the closest sort of one we follow. But then there's obviously things there that don't translate here. And there's colours because of our unique light that don't always work or that we have to adjust. So I might see a lot of a particular colour in um, Europe, but I know that maybe it'll come here, but it won't be in the same form or it won't be as big or it'll be smaller accents or whatever it is. So you've got to kind of know the the market. People challenge me about trends quite often because there is a negative connotation to that word that comes, unfortunately, from fast fashion. But trends... They can be used as a marketing tool, 100%, but they are actually just a phenomenon that occurs in life, whether you believe in trends or not, they exist. It's a bit, you know, it is a real thing. It's not made up to create sales. It's maybe used to create sales. Yeah. Um, And it's always, I always sort of have a little internal laugh to myself when I'm at the talk with influential designers and they often get asked that, oh, do you, what do you think of trends or do you follow trends? And they're very kind of almost defensive about, no, no, we don't follow trends because I think they're worried that maybe they are following some kind of formula. But what, what they don't realise is that they create the trends. They are the influencers. They're the people that are trickling the ideas down to, you know, create those movements. So they're part of you're already part of it. <laughs> it's the cerulean blue conversation in Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> oh, it's that is actually God. I love that scene so much. I think I was mesmerised. I was like, oh, but um, yes, that's exactly it. And it's not, and that's you know the fashion version of what happens in real life, and not just with interiors, but with so many things. And that's human nature. I think that's kind of what we do. We like to be part of things. We like to be part of communities. And sometimes that's been part of a trend or whatever it is. But the biggest thing I do say to people is that I'm certainly not pushing trends on people. What I love about doing what I do with, say, the Dulux colour forecast is showing people what's possible. That's what I love about representing those trends. And I look at 
what's underneath it. I look at the stories of the trends and what the whys of it. That's what I find really interesting. But I'm happy if someone goes, oh, my God, I didn't consider that. I love that colour because they've seen it. And I think for a long time people weren't seeing those examples. They didn't have the confidence to make those decisions. They might have loved yellow for a really long time but never thought of actually painting in a room that way or whatever it was. So, yeah, that's the big kick I would get out of it is people having the confidence um, to try it out. What's it like for you in your home? Are you colourful at home and because you're colourful with your work? Yeah, definitely. Although I went through a period of collecting only white things and I had all my shelves only had white. So I, I guess I... I don't know that I, I'm not sure what that was. Um, I just maybe you like a visual detox yeah, from work. I actually used to say that to people that sometimes I need a space where yeah it cleanses the it's the sorbet cleansing the palate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I still I still really like white, especially great base for beautiful color. But I, my I think my intrinsic style and where I go to is definitely saturated colour, graphic pattern, you know, think Memphis and 80s. Is a big influence. I love black and white. I love animal print. (laughs) 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 I don't care anyway. So I think I've probably gotten a bit more bold as I've gotten older too and I'm more likely to choose things because it's what I love and nothing to do with anything else. I think that's interesting. Like colour is something you can grow into with like you get yeah. more confidence to you use do. color you figure out what your color palettes are like what are the colors that you really love yeah i think it's absolutely an evolution and it's how it's, it often relates to what your life is like at the time and and what you need from color you know color gives you things if your life is so hectic and you need to come home to a really beautiful relaxing space then color can give you that and vice versa if your life's a bit you know, ho-hum, but when you walk into your home, it sings and it makes you feel so much better about everything. You know, colour can give you that too. So, yeah, I think you you evolve in it and I think that you just need to kind of take risks. It's okay to make mistakes with it too. Like colour is very permanent, you know. It's just colour, just chill. (laughs) If it's a wall, paint over it. Exactly. It's all good. (laughs) So what is your favourite colour? Do you have a favourite? It's like choosing a child. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of children there. (laughs) Well, as I mentioned, purple was a really big one for me, but I can confidently say yellow now. Look, you can see. Mm. I can see, yeah, yellow chairs. Yeah, which I didn't buy and wasn't super happy when my husband came home. So um, for those that can't see, I have yellow office chairs, which are actually awful. We're about to get rid of them. They're so trash. I don't mean awful colour, but the, when my husband brought them home, uh, he just bought them at Office Works and he thought, look, I bought you yellow chairs because he knew I liked colour. But back then, I just, I don't know, there wasn't what I was after. And I was like, uh-huh, they're, they're, they're lovely. Thank you. And then I'm like, no, I'm stuck with these yellow chairs. And they grew on me. Why is yellow the number one? <sighs> what direction of yellow are we looking? Like buttery or mustardy? Mustardy. 
Uh, I love the acid yellows. Acid yellow, like yeah, get it. Mm. That's the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, there it is again. I think that's kind of maybe maybe as you get older, you get a bit more nostalgic. Possibly that's the reason. But it's just I just find it such a happy color, and it lifts things. You know, even just a little bit of yellow in a space or against another color can really I don't know make it a little bit more fun. So I've got a controversial question for you. Where do you stand on feature walls? I probably went through a period of going, no more feature walls because everyone had done them. And I do tend to be the person who's like, I don't want to do the same thing as everyone else. But I think they have their place. I think each space has to be looked at, you know, on its own. And, okay, a feature wall's really going to work here and not avoid it. I sort of you think you don't avoid things because you think they're, not trendy anymore because if they work for that space it kind of doesn't matter if they don't work for the space that's when it kind of goes all wrong yeah so I'm not I wouldn't say I'm against them and I'd say they're probably creeping back a bit yeah but I think that's because people are you know letting go of the rules a little bit I suppose and maybe not being governed by we don't do feature walls anymore like I could be persuaded on a feature wall. That's probably... I like that. (laughs) So, looking ahead to the future, whilst we've got the expert, are there any interior or colour trends coming up that you could maybe share? Like, 2020 was weird, you know, but everyone was at home more and people were changing their house and decorating more and spent more time at home so it's so interesting and it's kind of great because obviously people have realized that their homes are so important and I think they do a lot of people do overlook that space we spend a lot of the time you know working or focusing on things outside of the home that it really did change our perspective to be at home so much but also people didn't, you know, we had to cancel holidays and, you know, not being able to travel. So that budget potentially went back into the house and making our homes more comfortable and, and more, you know, full of our own character. So that, I guess, is a, is a trend in itself. And obviously working from home, that's a big trend in making sure that we have the space to do that. And not everyone can have a dedicated room. So I think, um, you know, we've already started to see and, you know, we did see even quite quickly a lot of designers adapting furniture design, for instance, to be able to, you know, utilise a dining space but also make it an office space. So flexibility is going to be a huge trend in interiors continuing on. And, you know, we have actually been talking about wellness for so long, but, of course, that has even become even more important and, you know, one of our... One of our themes probably running for the last three or four years has been different versions of what wellness means within the home. And I think that will continue and now actually will also people will start to think about hygiene and how that works back into surfaces and particularly in commercial spaces. That's so interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing technology that we started to see really it's been happening for a long time, but that's going to come probably more into the fore to do with incorporating different things into materials to make sure that they're antibacterial or that surfaces can't, you know, that germs can't live on particular surfaces. So I think there will be a bit of a focus on that. Um, I love that. 
Trends for 2021 hygiene. <laughs> Maybe it's the surgical blue masks that are like, that's the colour trend coming through. Uh, Fashion-wise, I'm guessing masks is going to be huge. But, um, yeah, colour-wise, look, we're seeing, I think we saw a bit of a slowdown in, in movement of trend really, I guess, two years ago now where the trends were evolving more than suddenly changing. And that had been happening for a while, but I noticed that really, you know, the slowdown of things in terms of, you know, not jumping from, oh, now it's this colour or the colours were evolving. So they were either, you know, if yellow was a particular colour, for instance, you know, we were seeing much more bold, sunny yellow. I know Pantone has... um, used it as one of the colours of the year, which is quite a bright yellow. But what we were seeing in terms of interiors was more those buttery yellows coming through before COVID. That's what we were seeing. Um, So I think that the bright yellow is representing that optimism. And Pantone, when they do colour of the year, obviously a lot of people jump on that. But what you'll see is so many different versions of that colour because Pantone is not just about interiors, they're about graphic design and packaging and all of that stuff. So they've got to think about it on such a broad level. Yes, slight evolutions. I think so many of the same things, but maybe being more important. You know, how long have we been talking about greenery and plants and interiors and how much important that's even become being in our homes so much now? That focus has not changed, so that's a continuing trend. Having tactile surfaces, I feel like I've probably used the word tactile a million times in the last two years. That is also still going to be so important. We're now even more connected digitally and looking at hard screens and touching hard surfaces so much during the day and having less human contact when we're working from home. That tactility in our interior world is just so much more important. And we sort of knew that was happening already because of our connection to our devices just on a cool level but that's obviously amped up so much now as well cool so we're going to move on to our fast five questions um so first up what is your favorite project that you've worked on well it's i would say it's a choice between deluxe forecasts and the work i do for laminex where i get to actually design you know kitchens and bathrooms and spaces because that project really does combine my interior design color and styling skills so it's like your your last lot you just did were beautiful yeah, that stunning. really fun punchy terrazzo one there was a nice artwork in there maybe but i loved that one with the sort of black and green terrazzo and that's your memphis coming through yeah yeah well that was my favorite yeah those um those graphic terrazzo tiles i love that sort of style. What is a brand or product you're loving at the moment? Yeah, you know, I, I probably can't narrow it down to one, but what I love to look for is like emerging Australian or local designers like Dean Tofa, who, you know, has sent me a couple of his stunning little, look at this one, this little vase. You have to post a picture of his work. So, you know, I just love discovering what people are doing and hopefully trying to hero them in, in projects and um, expose their work to more people because I think that's so fun to find stuff that's new and original. In terms of bigger brands that I'm finding doing cool stuff, Fenton Fenton always seem to come out with some really cute little homewares and um, you know that are unique to them. I love what Jardin do. I think they do 
beautiful staff. And I work quite closely with Grazia and Co on projects as well. I love, they have a really unique style too. It's simple and it's elegant. Very cool. And very cool, you know, they just nail it. Yeah, I mean, it's that difference that I think sometimes you need. So what are you watching at the moment? I'm re-watching The Gilmore Girls. I've probably watched it. This is maybe my third time start to finish. I love you, Brie. <laughs> we are the same person when we watch TV. <laughs> you and I, you know, we've had many little Insta conversations about what we're watching. Like I went and watched Moonstruck. After when you, I'm like, oh, God, I haven't watched that for a while. That's one of my all-time absolute favourite movies. But, yeah, so I don't know. I just needed, obviously, there's been some great binge-worthy things. You know, I, I jumped on the Bridgerton bandwagon which was pretty cool. oh yeah um, like everyone else but I just wanted like comforting tv and I went I'm just gonna start Gilmore Girls again head back to Stars Hollow oh god I love Stars Hollow <laughs> yeah so I'm enjoying all those characters at the moment nice and who would be your dream collaborator client or client or project I mean I'll pull this out there because this is something I maybe would like to explore this year and I don't, I don't know what brand it would be, but I really would like to do a, you know, furniture and homewares collaboration with someone that's got that signature style to it, you know, using colour. Yeah, so that would be my absolute dream project to, to do a range for sure. Yeah, I would love to say too. Well, just whoever's out there listening, hit me up. I'm ready for it. Absolutely. <laughs> And one day, one day in the future when we are allowed to travel again, where's your dream holiday destination? This is really hard because I would say on a personal development level, I haven't been to New York, which people go, you haven't been to New York? I literally gasped. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's everyone's reaction. So I feel like I have to do that. But I have to say my dream actual holiday at the moment would just be on a beach somewhere with lovely weather and drinking some lovely cocktails and chilling out and doing absolutely nothing. That would be great. So, I don't know, send me to the Maldives or something. Done. <laughs> yes, please. This is it. This is, we're, we're manifesting. Maybe, we're putting maybe it all more I might be able to get up to Noosa or something. I don't know. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun chatting to you. Oh, it's been fun. And you know, you can probably tell I can chat forever. It was great. And it's great to hear about, just to understand a little bit more about trends. And, you know, it's such an interesting process. So I think people are going to love hearing about that. Thanks so much to Bree for joining us on the House of Style. You can follow Bree on Instagram at Bree Leach. For more info and to see our style edit inspired by Bree, click the link in the description for our website. You can find us on Instagram at House of Style Podcast. Tell your friends and don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And thanks for stopping by the House of Style. House of Style is powered by Logitech and Blue Microphones. Thank you to Lucy Stevens for our artwork and Samantha Ponton for our social media.